Uh, I heard this quote a few weeks ago, and it struck me. I was, I was like, wow. Um, this pastor was sharing, and he said um, that Eve was created, and she was created to solve the, the world's first problem. Eve was created to solve the world's first problem, right? God created everything, and then he made Adam, and he was like, this ain't good <laughs> for this dude to be alone. He's, he's going to be a mess by himself. Um, and so Eve was created to solve that first problem. Loneliness is what I really believe. Um, and women ever since have been solving problems, right? Ladies are the problem solvers in the house. The guys get the little coffee table that you got from Ikea. You know, it costs you 20 bucks, and it should take no time to put together, but it takes you two hours without instructions. And then finally, she comes in there, and she's like, yeah, you just, just got to do this. And she solves the problem, right? If it's a baking situation and like, guys, we feel like we're going to have tonight. We got it. We're going we're gonna to cook tonight. I did that a little while ago with some pancakes, like super simple pancakes. Follow the recipe. I ruined them. They were like bricks. I mean, they were terrible. They were, I've, I've made pancakes, I don't know how many times, but a few weeks ago, I made them on a Sunday night and they were so terrible. And I was like, I'm, I'm miserable at this. Women have been solving problems ever since. And our lives, but it struck me when I heard that quote that, man, it's really sad that many women now suffer from the same problem that they were created to solve, loneliness. Many women now suffer from the same problem that they were created to solve, loneliness. And I think it, it, it goes uh, into not just women uh, and mothers today, but to, to all of us, that, that God has created us uniquely to be fashioned together. And there's something about this body of Christ connecting together with other people. And so what I think I want to hit home on today is that who God's called you to be, your destiny in Christ, and who who he's called you to be and, and grow into, I believe is on the other side of pride. And I believe it's on the other side of some intentional relationships that are going to be transformational in your life. Because moms, we love you. You are our superheroes, like you're rock stars. But God has not called you to be a superhuman kind of rock star that does everything and can juggle and wear all these different hats that we have to wear and we have to figure out and we have to do that. But God has not called you to be um, some kind of superwoman that's doing it all. In fact, we begin to wear that like a badge of pride, like I can do this. And we don't let people in. And, and we begin missing out on these relationships that God has intended to lead us uh, into greater maturity and who he's called us to be. And so I want to talk to you this morning. I want to talk to you about, about five women that you need in your life. And I'm not um, going to begin to get into uh, like some kind of Mormon teaching where you need like a bunch of wives. So I'm not going to do that. Um, and more than these being like five women you, you need in your life, these, these are really five godly characteristics. These aren't like specific, but I want to talk about these five women in the Bible, these characteristics, these godly characteristics that they had. And I believe whether you're male or female, a husband, a father, a mother, a lady in the house, whoever you are, these are godly characteristics, and these are godly people that we need in our lives, um, and, and as well that we, we should be holding in our lives. So let's, let's dive into it. The first lady that I, I really believe that we need in our life is you need a Ruth. You need a Ruth in your life. Not a baby Ruth, but you need a Ruth um, there was this man named Elimelech. Everybody say Elimelech. Yeah, it's a tongue twister. Try to say that five times fast. Elimelech, Elimelech. yeah, it just, it's tough. 
So there's this guy named Elimelech, and he lived in Bethlehem. You guys remember Bethlehem, the place where Jesus was born? Far before Jesus was uh, born in, into his natural body on earth, Elimelech lived there, and he had a wife named Naomi. Well, they had two sons, and these two sons married two young ladies, one named Orpah, which I think Oprah was actually named after Orpah because it's like super similar. I think her mom was just dyslexic and like went with Oprah, and it seems to have worked out okay for her. <laughs> but uh, so Orpah and the other, other daughter-in-law they had, the, these two um, um, sons that uh, Elimelech and Naomi had, uh, they, they married Orpah and they married Ruth, so that was Naomi's daughter-in-law. Well, as time went on, they moved from Bethlehem, they moved to Moab, a town kind of far away, they moved into Moab, and Elimelech passes away. So, so Naomi, the, the matriarch of the family, is now without her husband and left to, to carry on. Um, well, the time passes there, and she gets through somehow, and uh, both of her, her, her sons pass away as well. So just a daunting kind of just, you can't even imagine. And, and, and she had given up kind of on everything. It was kind of becoming hard after the passing of her husband and grieving through that, and then now both of her her kids pass away. So uh, Naomi says, hey, we're going to, kids, I, I don't, uh, she's now left with her daughter-in-laws, and I don't know about you, I have an amazing relationship with my in-laws. You may not, uh, if you're married in the house, you may not have an amazing relationship with your in-laws. Some folks don't, um, but, but we have. Well, you can imagine she's now left, Naomi is left with her two daughter-in-laws, and she's like, hey, like, what now? What are we supposed to do? All the men have passed away now, and we're, we're just kind of left here. Well, she says, um, look, girls, you, just, you need to just move on. There was, it was customary, um, something known as a redeemer, that when a husband passed away, that really the closest male relative of that family would marry that woman, uh, and he would become her, her kinsman redeemer. Uh, it's a whole kind of customary thing that we'll, we could uh, explain a little further at another time, but so this redeemer, there was no one left in the family. She, and so Naomi tells her two daughter-in-laws, like, I've got nothing. Like, there's no hope for me, and I've got no hope for you left in my family. So you just need to go. <laughs> you just need to get out of here and, like, leave me to myself. It reminded me of uh, when I was in Africa on safari, and there was, um, there, they told me about the elephants and that when elephants kind of get old in their life, um, they just leave the old elephants to like wander around until they die. Like they always travel in packs. And this is something powerful that comes with this point in this whole message about needing people in your life. You see, in, in the wild, animals don't like to travel alone. They don't. Like if you see a pack of wolves, they, they travel together. Elephants, they travel. It was mind-blowing. We went around the safari, and there's just 60 elephants just in the wild, just like here. There's 12 over here, 12 over here, 12 over here. There's traveling in packs. But when they got to this, this age of just kind of this sitting with things, they just kind of went out on their own. And I just want to let you know that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants you to be alone. Because you're most susceptible to become prey when you're alone. Anybody feel way more encouraged when you're around the body of Christ, but when you're all alone in your room and you're dealing with your thoughts or you're at work and you just feel like you got nobody, right? That's when the enemy really starts digging in. Well, Naomi's just getting bitter about life, and so um, Orpah ends up leaving. She's like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll take off. So uh, Naomi's just so bitter about life. And she, they end up moving back to Bethlehem. Like when you just kind of got nothing else, like let's just move back home, right? It just seems easier. 
And, and Ruth says something to her in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, when Naomi's given up. In fact, they move back to the town, and people don't even recognize her. Like, who's that? Is that Naomi? Like, Naomi looks rough, y'all. Like, it's been a while since we've seen her, but she looks rough. They don't even recognize her. She says, don't even call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because I'm bitter. I, I came full, like I left here full, and now I've come back empty. I got nothing. She's just like over life. And Ruth says this to her in verse 16 and 17. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even uh, if even death separates you from me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go, she stopped urging her. She said, I'm not leaving you. I think you need a Ruth in your life. You need somebody that's loyal. I, I think, in fact, we're called to be, uh, characterize this uh, in our lives as believers, to be loyal. And I think basically you need someone that's going to remind you of God's faithfulness because God's not going to leave you. Like this life may happen and people will come and go, but, but you need people in your life that are going to remind you of God's faithfulness because they're going to be consistent and they're going to be loyal and they're going to be there with you. Even when you're kind of giving up hope and you can't, can't see the beauty in life anymore, you, you need a Ruth in your life that's going to be loyal and going to point you back. Like, I'm not, I'm not leaving you. Uh, isn't there that movie, like, I wish I knew how to quit you? I don't know what that one is. Although, see, I'm going to drop some lady quotes in there. I don't even know what that is. But, um, but I, I'm sure it's things that... Uh, I'm sure that's a movie like I would not like to be proud of, even knowing that quote. But um, she'll remind you of God's faithfulness. You need a Ruth in your life, um, someone that, that's going to be loyal. And you see, loyalty, it, it's funny that many times we want someone loyal in our life. But are we willing to be that, that loyal person? Are we willing to, to be loyal even when others aren't being loyal? You know? And I think it's a learned trait. It, it, it's a learned trait that over time, we learn that, hey, I'm not, not going to give up. I'm going to stick with this. And the, the profound impact um, that happens here is that Naomi begins to pour into Ruth's life. And, Naomi, uh, and Ruth ends up, and she ends up giving her some encouragement, and she ends up finding a, a redeemer, a man who will marry her and take care of her. And she served him, and it was just like a, a beautiful situation. But Naomi began to find great joy in Ruth. In fact, she said, I've got more joy out of you, my one daughter-in-law, than what I had out of even having a lot more sons than what I had. I just found this joy in a place that I didn't think I'd find it. And, uh, and that's a beautiful, beautiful thing in our lives. So you need somebody that's going to be loyal to you, someone that, that you can trust and that you can count on. And so uh, I just encourage you, be a Ruth and pray for that Ruth in your life. Be what you want other people to be. Don't be complaining about someone else being loyal and you're talking about their back, behind their back, because they were talking about, you know what I mean? Let's be who we uh, want in our life. So you need a Ruth in your life. The next person, the next lady, the next woman, I believe you need in your life is an you need an Esther. You need an Esther. When I was a kid, um, we we were hanging out at a pool, and um, there was this frog swimming by, and there was like a bunch of people over from church, and uh, I didn't know I was a kid, I was a stupid kid, and this is probably not very embarrassing for you, but there was this frog that came swimming up, and there was this lady right there, and, and um, she you know she was much older than I was, and I'm like hey. Um, look at this little frog or whatever, and, and she's like, well, what do you want to name it? I'm like, let's name it Esther. I just heard that probably in Sunday school that morning or something. I'm like, let's name the frog Esther. And she goes, 
that's my name. <laughs> so that's probably not super embarrassing for you, but for me, like, it was petrifying that I just said, like, yeah, yeah, you, this frog, yeah, you guys kind of got the same name. So I, <laughs> that has nothing to do with the point. Um, <laughs> nothing at all, but it was just an embarrassing story about the name Esther. Um, Esther finds herself in this unusual place of influence. She was just a young Jewish girl. She had lost both of her parents, in fact, and she had been adopted by her second cousin, Mordecai, who was like a super good and like a wise Jewish man, and he was very faithful. He was actually a part of uh, something known as the Babylonian captivity and exile, like, you know, they were kind of exiled for 70 years, and they were spread all over the place. Mordecai was one of those. He'd been spread out. So he'd kind of lost something. She had lost her family. He had lost his home and kind of been spread all over the place. So they had something in common. So they just built this kind of unusual relationship. Well, at the time, there was this guy named King Xerxes. If you've studied any kind of uh, history at all, you'll know about Xerxes. He was this powerful king. And actually in chapter one, there's this major, major historical battle that's about about to happen. It's where King Xerxes is going to attack the Greeks. Like, this is a major thing. If you know anything about history or history buff at all, like, Xerxes attacking the Greeks was a major, major historical battle, not just, like, biblically, but historically just all, all around. And that's about to happen. Um, and Xerxes is going to end up losing. That's a whole other story. But he, he gets tired of his wife, Xerxes does. He's, uh, his, his wife, uh, Vashti, was not the like yes woman. Like when the king said, you know, um, jump, she didn't say how high. She was like, when I get around to it. You know, she, was, she had a little bit of attitude, and the king was not okay with that. And so he ended up uh, taking her out of her uh, role as queen and began the search kind of bachelor style for um, a new queen. I mean, seriously, it was. They went and found all these kind of young, single, virgin women and said, um, you know, hey, you're going to go through these treatments. They went through 12 months of pampering and preparation to be ready for the king. Esther was selected, like, again, bachelor style out of this, and she went through 12 months of treatments. How many ladies in the house today, like, if you got to go through 12 months of pampering and treatment. It sound, doesn't sound too bad, does it? So, um, so she, she went through that just to prepare her for the king. And this is a whole other side point, but let me just tell you this. We're all going through being not just pampered, but we're all being pruned and ready for our king in this whole life. It, it's, it's just preparation for just eternity with our Lord and with our king. Esther was a woman of great courage, and she wasn't just a woman of great courage, but she was a woman of great wisdom. She found herself in this kind of epic time of history, and from just being this little nobody of a, of a young, kind of pretty girl, now she's the queen um, very quickly. Well, there's a lot of backstory to everything that happens here, um, but something happened. Um, Mordecai was kind of working at the gate, and he overheard some workers attempting, they were plotting an assassination of Xerxes. Um, Esther is now queen, and um, they're plotting this assassination. Well, Mordecai sends word to Esther. Esther passes that on to Xerxes, and of course, he's extremely grateful that we've been able to cut this off, cut off this kind of terror attack, this assassination here, and uh, he saved his life. So he was so thankful, never did anything to kind of bring great acclaim to Mordecai, but he was extremely grateful. Well, time passes on. There's this guy named Haman, 
And, and, and Haman hated Mordecai because everybody was bowing down and would worship the king and would even worship Haman and really kind of brought him honor. But Mordecai wasn't. He was a good Jewish man and he worshiped the Lord. He wasn't bowing down to anybody except God. Well, uh, it, this just began to infuriate Haman. Like he got so angry that he wanted Mordecai dead. And because he knew he was a Jew, he just didn't want him dead. He wanted all Jews dead. Like he really wanted genocide in their entire nation over every part of their kingdom. He wanted all Jews dead. Like this was like Hitler way before Hitler. Like he wanted all Jews dead. And so uh, he begins to set up this plot and, and, you know, with the king. And he's like, hey, look, king, there's this guy who's not going to bow down. There's these Jews that are they're going to have an uprising. And he basically tricks them, tricks them to signing like an edict, a law, if you will, that was kind of in stone. And he signs it with a signet ring, which when it was done with the signet ring was legit, like it was going to happen. So Haman deceived him. And it got to a place where um, that was, that was going to happen. Well, it came to a place where Mordecai is reaching out. Words get down to Mordecai, and he's like, Esther, you've got to do something. Like, God's brought you into this position and this for a time like this. Like, you have been brought. God's raised you up. You've got you to do something, but don't tell anybody you're a Jew. <laughs> kind of bad timing to be slipping that out there. Don't tell anybody you're a Jew, but you've got to do something. What do you, what do you want to do? I just know that this could cost you your life. And so she was a great woman of courage, and she sent word back to Mordecai to, to do this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I, I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I'll go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. The first thing she did in this great place of influence were like literally lives, many like thousands of lives are like on the line, including her own. First thing she did, I need some people to pray with me. <laughs> like she, she knew that her strength and her courage was not going to be her kind of getting strong and like fighting through this season, that it would be bowing a knee to the Lord and saying, God, only you can bring us victory. Only you can protect us. And to the moms, to the ladies, to, to the fellows and, and the dads in the house, like your strength doesn't come from you kind of buckling up and making it all happen. It comes from having a sincere place of trust that it comes from the Lord. Like we are going to conquer this. We're going to do this because God, because God, like period, <laughs> because God will take care of us. But she wasn't just a person of courage, but she was a person of wisdom. And let me just tell you, that wisdom had been passed down from Mordecai. She didn't have a, a mom or dad in her life. They, they died at a very young age, but that was never an excuse. Mordecai began to pour wisdom into that. She was wise because he was wise. Parents, you have a great, incredible place to pour into your children. Your children will receive that wisdom. You just keep pouring it in, and we receive that from the Lord. So um, the story goes on, and um, the king wakes up about 2 o'clock in the morning. 2 o'clock in the morning, and um, randomly, I don't even know if he was sleeping. He was just kind of maybe in and out of it. And uh, he says, whatever happened to that one guy, Mordecai, that saved my life? He starts asking some of his attendants, did we ever do anything to honor him? And this is right when this whole thing's been signed about Jews dying, and there's like a certain day when it's going to happen. And... Um, He's like, they're like, no, king, we didn't. And just about this time, Haman is walking in, and he's got a stick prepared that he is ready to impale 
Mordecai. Like he's already prepared. Like this dude's not bowing down. He's going to be the first one I kill. And there's a, a pole prepared to impale him on. That sounds insane because it is. Um, well, this he, Haman comes walking in. The king's like, hey, what would I do to honor somebody? What would I do to kind of celebrate someone who's just had this great role in my life? And Haman thinks he's talking about himself, right? It's on the other side of pride. And uh, he thinks he's talking about himself. So he begins to say, let's clothe them in a robe. Let's walk them around town, all these things. Well, the king was not talking about Haman. He was not thinking about Haman. He was talking about Mordecai. So... <laughs> So now Haman has to kind of eat humble pie, and he has to lead Mordecai around town in the robe that he said that was worthy for him. So he walks him around town. Long story short, Haman gets impaled on the pole that he thought Mordecai should be impaled on. And all of Haman's estate goes to Esther. So here's this young girl that gets in this incredible place of influence. There's a lot more things that happen in there, a banquet, and how she used incredible wisdom of just knowing the right timing for everything. There's so much in there, so if you like to study it, go for it. But, but God wants us to have people of courage and wisdom in our life. Not just someone that's going to be like, go for it, but someone's going to be like, hey, let's do it. Let's talk, let's talk this out. Let's pray this out. You need those people in your life. Many times we push away from people that challenge us. I don't know why we push away from people that bring wisdom into our lives. When God's placed them there for our good and for our transformation. One of the biggest things, or two of the biggest things, I think, with courage and wisdom that you've got to have, with courage is vulnerability. You, you, you got to be, like, it, it's not just a matter of like, oh, I can do this and like just kind of bucking up. It's being honest enough about the things that you're afraid of and then looking them in the eyes and dealing with them head on and then kind of running through those, right, as God directs us. It's not just courage. I think it's also being vulnerable enough to say, hey, this is a real issue for me. This is going to be scary, but, but we can do this with the Lord's help. With the wisdom, I believe it's teachability. Teachability. This is like one of the, like the, the most simplest traits that so many of us, um, over time, like we begin to, to lose. You know why they say like in a child's life, there's a period where they're so teachable, and then they hit like teenage years, and then they're so not teachable, <laughs> And for many of us, and, and then kind of when we get to college, like maybe there, there's a kind of a period in, the, in our early adulthood life where we're very teachable. And, and then sometimes after that, we become a lot less teachable. Can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? So, so many of us, regardless of age or stage of life, we're not teachable. And, and so we're, we're not very receptive to the Lord's wisdom and the people that he's placed in our life. So if we want to be people of great courage and wisdom, we need to be vulnerable and teachable. So we need an Esther in our life. We need somebody that's going to show truth and grace and wisdom and walk in, and not just truth, but walk in that power of God and know that it doesn't come from them being superhuman or us being superhuman, but it comes from the Lord. That was a super long story. I'll try to make them all a little bit shorter than that. Um, you need an Esther in your life. We can be an Esther in someone's life to pour in that wisdom, be, be teachable and learn from one another. One of my favorite quotes that was pretty life-shaping for me is that I've never met a man that's not my superior at something. Man or woman that's not my superior at something. It's a powerful quote that just basically says, I can be learning from anyone, anywhere. I, I can stand to learn something from them. It's a powerful thing about teachability. After Esther, I want to talk to you about, about a third woman that you need in your life, a third godly characteristic that we should be displaying and have um, people around us that, that display this, and that's Hannah. You need a Hannah in your life. Um, Hannah was a prayer warrior. Um, things 
were not always easy for Hannah. She, she married a guy, and um, he was married to another woman, too, and she knew it. They both knew about it. Um, but uh, this woman, so the, the other gal, she actually was able to bear children. And this lady was so mean, like she is like the epitome of like a mean lady because Hannah was not able to, to birth children. And so this lady is like running her down, like talking junk about her and just constantly just like tearing her to pieces over something that she has literally no control over. She just ran her down. So Hannah was like honestly always in this really insecure place about her role in her husband's life and and just what God was doing. But Hannah had this deep desire and felt like it was a promise of God, I, I suspect, that, that she would have a child. Like in due time, she would have a, a, a child. And so she just kept praying. People began to think she was crazy. Her own husband thought she was drunk because she was just so fervent in prayer. Even at the dinner table, she's just praying. And her husband's like, honey, you need to chill out on the wine. Because like, he thinks she's just like losing it. Um, and she's like, no, like I'm just praying. She, she wept bitterly before the Lord. She was honest in her prayers. You need a Hannah in your life. You need a Hannah in, in your life. Read, let's read this scripture together. Once, uh, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, um, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. She made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you'll only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. But Eli thought she was drunk, and he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord. Hannah replied, I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant. Um, do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, "Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant what you've asked him." Well, a little bit of time went on, um, and she conceives a child. She just kept on praying. It didn't come like when she wanted. It didn't come in a time where it, it avoided all criticism and this nasty lady that was just forced to be in her life. It, it didn't happen perfectly, but she kept on praying. She kept praying circles around that thing that she knew in her heart God had promised and, and was a part of, um, of her future. She just kept praying, kept praying. You need a prayer warrior like Hannah in your life says, hey, I'm, I'm struggling here. We, we, we need to possess that in, in our lives where we'll just be continually praying and keep on praying until something happens. It's a powerful, powerful story to learn that Hannah gave birth to Samuel. She brought him. And Samuel was, was one of the, the greatest judges, one of the greatest kind of rulers of Israel that we had ever known. He was not only a ruler and a judge, but he was, he was a prophet, God used him to anoint David, and he would be a part of the line of, of Jesus. And so it's this incredible story about just being faithful in prayer. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when you want to give up, keep on praying. And just know that prayer works. Know that God sees your heart. Sometimes that's the thing we miss, and in, in, in we get wor more worried about our timing than anything and everything happening in like this perfect sequence like we planned in our head. But don't take 
Don't take a, a delay as a denial. Just because it's not happening in the time that you think it would or in the place and way that you thought it would, don't take it as a denial. God just may be kind of preparing you in this time. That's a powerful thing that I've learned in, in the, the past several years is that, that God, God wants to do more in me than what I ever thought was possible. God's way more concerned with doing something in me because when he, when he does something in me, what happens out side of me and what flows through me it just becomes natural, right? Until it's inside of you, there's really nothing to, to give from. So Hannah was a prayer warrior. We need a prayer warrior in our life. Thank God for some praying mamas. Some of you may be sitting in church right now because a mama prayed for you, a grandmother prayed for you. Um, I thank God for that because I know so many times we, we stand on, on their shoulders of, of, um, of calling and what God's done in their life. So let's become prayer warriors for one another fourth woman uh, that you need in your life is you need an Abigail. So time passes on. Hannah was First uh, Samuel chapter 1. It fast forwards a little bit. First uh, Samuel chapter 25. And now uh, David has been <clears throat> anointed by Samuel at this time. And Samuel has just passed away. David is now on the run. And he's in the middle of desert. He's running from Saul who is the king. But David has been anointed and is getting ready to be king um, before too long. And so Samuel had just passed away. David's in the middle of the desert, and he's not by himself. He's with a bunch of his men. And David is a mighty warrior, like, and, and he knows how to run an army. He knows how to run the ship. And so they're all out here in the middle of the desert, and here appear these kind of two people. And, and there's like a lot of shepherds out there, and they're kind of treating them well. David knew how to treat shepherds well because he once was a shepherd. And so they, they are hungry and starving, and they run up to this man's house who they could tell was very wealthy. His name was Nabal, and he had a wife named Abigail. Abigail was beautiful, she was very intelligent. Nabal was wealthy, and he was mean as fire. His people knew it, his wife knew it, everybody knew he had money, but he was a jerk. <laughs> and so David is, is hungry, and he needs to feed his men, needs to do something, so they come up to Nabal, and... Um, and they're like, hey, man, I, we, we need some water. We need some food. We need something to take care of my men. And Nabal's like, I don't know you. Get off my property. Like, he's just like, grumpy old man, like, get off my property. He's like, I'm not interested. And he's a jerk to him. And, um, and David goes away, and, like, he's already hangry, like, about the situation. You know, he's hungry, and he's angry. And it doesn't take much to set off a man who's hungry. All the guys, all the ladies in the house know what I'm talking about. Doesn't take much and so uh, David's ticked, and he's like, this dude's not going to take care of us. We've been good. We protected some of his shepherds out here. We've been good to them. Want to give me some water? And he's like, dudes, rally up. It's go time. Like, <laughs> we're going to take, we're going to go take it. If he's not going to give it to us, we're going to take it. He's mad, I'm telling you. And so he, he uh, heads, gets ready to head back. Well, word gets out to some of the shepherds and servants out in the field. And they go and carry this message back to Abigail. And she's like, they're like, you got to do something. I'm telling you, he's about to come in here and he's going to raid and he's going to take everybody out. He's just like, he's hungry. That's really hungry. Like you passed the point of no return. And um, he's like, it's about to happen. Well, Abigail rushes out there and brings some kind of supplies for them. And, and she begins to plead with David and just says, look, you, you're a righteous man. Like we've learned about your character. We know who you are. My, my husband, I don't want to talk junk about him, but he's kind of a jerk and everybody knows it. And, um, and he does not walk in the way of the Lord is the most important thing. You are walking in the way of the Lord. He is not. And Abigail is going to protect and be a peacemaker in this situation. And, and you, need a, you need a protector and a peacemaker in your life. Last week, we talked about unity in the body of Christ. 
Uh, and Abigail operates in such a way, she doesn't wait until things get worse. She doesn't wait until he's at the door. She hears about it, she grabs some stuff, and she goes actively to keep peace. Now, you know you've got people in your life, you've got people that if you told them that a wrong had been done to you, they will get up and they will storm the castle with you. And then you've got people in your life that will kind of simmer the situation and help you bring peace to the situation. Maybe there's a place for both of those, but I'm telling you today, you, you need an Abigail in your life. You need somebody, um, I, I'll tell you the story. There was one time that I was in a ministry setting, and I won't say where I was or what was going on, but I was in a ministry setting and um, there was a person who, who was working alongside me in ministry, and there were some people that was upset. I mean, they were yelling. They were screaming about some changes that were being made in the church. They were upset. And uh, the, the one uh, guy that was sitting to my right, he was a rather large dude, and he could take somebody out if he wanted to. And uh, I saw him. like He was like David. He was probably hungry. It was like after church one day, and, and he was hungry. He was hangry. And so I just stuck my hand on his leg. And it was just a sense of, it, it, it was not an Abigail situation where I was rushing out, but it was a sense of like, take a deep breath. Like, we, we're going to bring peace to this situation, and God's going to give us wisdom to handle this. You, you need an Abigail in your life. When those things come along, when those situations, you need somebody that's going to bring peace and protect. And ultimately, what a protector and a peacemaker is, is they honor the Lord by protecting his children. We honor God by protecting his kids. So protect the person around you. Show honor to the people around you and help bring peace to situations and not stir up strife. Everybody staying with me this morning? I'm trying to speed some of these stories up. Um, the last one, that, uh, the last person I believe you, you need in your life, and I'm actually getting double for my money here. I said it's five people, but it's really six. Um, it's, you need a Lois and a Eunice in your life. You know, we, need to, we need to become a Lois and a Eunice. First, you need them in your life, and then hopefully over time, we'll become a Lois and a Eunice. You're like, who's Lois and who's Eunice? Um, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 tells us who Lois and Eunice were. And it's so small, but it's so big for us today. That's why I want to end here. It says this, Paul is talking to Timothy, who's his spiritual son, a man he's poured into, and Timothy's now doing incredible ministry all over the place. Paul says to him, I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. See, that's like a small like little verse. It's like such a small reference of Lois and Eunice. You probably have never heard many messages about Lois and Eunice, um, but they're people that you need in your life, and, and, and moms in the house, um, this is a role that you can play in, in that I believe that you can be right in the middle of you know, faithful teacher in, in your life. Maybe that's a mom, maybe that's a grandma, maybe that's a person in the church um, that's a little further along in the faith. You need somebody that's gonna be faithful with you and who's gonna teach you and pour into you. It's, it's easy to, to, to kind of wanna um, kind of pull up our shoulders and think that we can do everything ourselves. But the further I go on this life, the more I realize I need people in my life, that, that who I'm created to be and who God's called me to be and who he's destined to me, my, the only way I'm going to reach that is breaking through a barrier of pride where I think I can become that on my own and then getting to a place where I'm intentionally finding these relationships that I need in my life. Whether you're male or female, a mom or, or a single adult in the house, you need these people in your life. You need somebody that's going to be loyal and stick with you. You need somebody that's going to be a prayer warrior. Uh, you, you need somebody that's going to bring courage but also wisdom and help you know kind of the way to, to, to walk through things, a protector and a peacemaker. You need somebody that's going to be a faithful teacher 
that's just going to pour into your life. And I thank God for Lois's and Eunice's of the world. Because they poured into Timothy, and probably when he was a snotty-nosed little kid, and, and he, when they, they probably even wondered, is he even getting it? You know, they just kept on being faithful. Man, I got, I, got, I got kids, and they drive me nuts sometimes. I love them. I love them to death. But they drive me nuts sometimes, and it's, and it's, and it's exhausting, and it's a lot of work. And, and the truth of the matter is that we've all been in that place where we needed someone to just be faithful with us. So many of us, we, we want a large stage. We, we, we want to go from, uh, like David, we want to go from the field to the castle, but there was a lot of desert moments. There, there, there was a lot of quiet times. There was a, a lot of hiding in the rock. There was a lot of prayers and psalms that were written between the field and the castle. And a lot of us want that, but honestly, I, I truly believe a Lois and Eunice, she will little by little just leave a lasting legacy. Lois and Eunice never cared about their name getting in the scriptures. I know they didn't. They were just going to be faithful with the young man that God had placed in their care. And they were just going to be faithful with the little lessons that they would just share. And there's a lot of things as, as parents and as individuals that we, we want to pass on to our kids. right? We'd love to leave like this incredible inheritance for them. right? Doesn't that sound nice? We'd love to be able to give them so much, and sometimes we just feel like we don't have any, anything to give. Even emotionally and spiritually, we wonder, like, I don't even, I'm struggling to make it. How do I even have anything to, to pass on? But be faithful with the little, because little by little, it's going to leave a lasting legacy. Be consistent and be faithful in teaching them. Because that's really, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters that we pass on to them it, it is not a house, and it's not all these other things. It's, it's the faith. It's the faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and a real relationship with God. And Lois and Eunice, they may not have done anything else right, but they got that right. They passed on that faith. They passed on that real relationship. And Timothy went on to be a pastor of so many New Testament churches and preaching all around. And we're probably here today in many, many reasons because Timothy was planting churches and raising up men and women and doing that. It left just an incredible legacy. Um, and I know across the house, like some of us, or maybe the guys in the room are like, well, I'm not a woman. But these are not a matter of feminine qualities or motherly qualities. These are godly qualities. These were women that lived out these godly qualities. Um, and I know that God wants to do something and encourage our women today. I pray that these have been encouraging to us to grab a hold of today. And I want.